Well, good morning, Calvary Church family. I see a lot of familiar faces, and I see some unfamiliar faces. And uh, uh, John said we're Jim and Barb Teasdale. Um, this church has been a blessing to me for a very long time. A little over 44 years ago, right now, a young lady walked up this aisle and said, I do marry me, which is, I'm still kind of amazed at that. And the next year, this church sent us to Africa for the first time as missionaries from this church. And then we were brought back by our mission board to help develop, develop the headquarters and campus there of the Master's Mission in North Carolina. And then 30 years ago, just a little over 30 years ago, Calvary Church sent us back to Africa to extend the ministry of this church to a place that had never heard the gospel, a place called Langalani in northeast Kenya. And during all those years, you all have been our partners, have, been, have prayed for us, have supported us, have allowed us to be in that place. And this church has extended the Church of Jesus Christ to a place uh, that many of you, most of you will never see but you'll meet those brothers and sisters and spend eternity with them. So we're grateful beyond words for Calvary Church and how the Lord has used you, not just in our lives, but in the lives of people around the world, the other end of the world. I have a first cousin named Gloria, and Gloria is an only child, and Gloria is adopted. And she's about my age, so in those days, um, children, I think, were, got away with a lot more brutality than they do now. And so she took a lot of heat for being adopted, a lot of teasing. And Gloria would own that. And she would say, you know, your parents were just stuck with what they got. <laughs> my parents looked at all the children of the world that needed a mom and dad and they chose me. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you too have been adopted. God looked around the world, chose you. And not a human parent, God the Father. There's blessings that come to an adopted child, humanly speaking. The blessings that come to an adopted child of God are immeasurable. This morning I want to just read a few verses from the beginning of the book of Ephesians that talks about the riches that we have as the adopted children of God. And I would love to go through much more of this, but I'll, I'll be hard-pressed to get through six verses this morning. So if you have your Bible, stand with me as I read the first six verses of the book of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Father, as I share your word with this church family this morning, I pray that I wouldn't mess it up. Father, as Ezra, Ezra prayed, I pray that I would be able to give the sense of the passage and that your spirit would teach us from your word. Father, that we would be encouraged to be faithful and obedient. Father, that we would understand the security we have, the blessings we have, the riches we have as your children. Father, these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Paul starts out this epistle introducing himself as the author, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, in Ephesus is not in a lot of the best manuscripts we have of this epistle. So it, it, it could be it's a general letter to all the churches in that part of Asia. Now, it, it did get to Ephesus, we know that. Paul says later on in the letter, uh, six, chapter 6, verse 21 and 22, it was delivered to that local church by the hands of Tychicus. So they got the letter. And it's not just to an individual, it's to a congregation, it's to all the believers in that place. And Paul's writing around AD 62, and we know the, the time of this letter particularly, because Paul tells us he's in prison. He tells us, Chapter 3, verse 1, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Chapter 4, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 20, for which I an ambassador in chains. So we know when Paul wrote this. He writes this from his imprisonment in Rome that Acts 28 talks about. And yet we look at the contents of this letter and does it look like it's written in the depths of despair in a dungeon somewhere. You know, um, if, or my wife is liable to say when I write a letter to Calvary from prison, um, <clears throat> whenever I talk to officials, Barb and Jay try to pretend they don't know me, TSA lines, whatever. Um, but if I was to write you a letter from prison, in my own strength, it wouldn't be a letter like this. This is a letter of great joy. This is Paul telling the church, understand the riches that you have as children of God. God chose you. He saved you. He secured you. You have everything. All the riches in Christ Jesus. Paul's writing this from a dungeon because he has a completely different perspective. This is called the book of the riches of the church. Some some pastors have said, this is the checkbook of the church. This is where we find all the riches that we enjoy as God's adopted children. Paul goes on and he says, in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of God's grace, what is God's grace? It's 
God's kindness to us that we did nothing to deserve, just the opposite. Because of God's grace, we have peace with God. God's not at war with us anymore. We're not his enemies anymore. He doesn't look at us as sinners anymore. He looks at us as beloved children. We also have God's peace. In a world that we don't generally characterize as peaceful. A world that God says is going to get worse and worse and worse until he fixes it. But this is how Paul greets this church very quickly. And then he comes to verse 3 and he has this introductory sentence that go, runs on to verse 14 and we don't have possibly have time to get into all of that so I'm just taking the first part of that. But in this one sentence in the original Greek he presents God's past, present, and future plan for the church. First part is that God adopts us as his children, and that's the only part we have time to look at today. God chooses us. And then the Son of God saves us. And then the Spirit of God seals us and secures our eternal inheritance. And so Paul, in this first, just first introductory sentence, lays this all out as he launches into all the blessings and riches we enjoy because we're children of God. It goes on in verse 3, and he says at the beginning of that, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, you know, so often we just read through here so quickly, and we don't, don't understand the weight of what is written here. What is that word, blessed? Eulogeo, from what we get, eulogy. And what do we do in a eulogy? We talk about the goodness of the person that we're eulogizing. And it says, blessed be God. Let's tell of God's goodness. Now, when we look at human beings, is there any goodness in us? God's word's pretty clear. How many are righteous? None. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Paul starts out and he says to the Ephesians and to us, blessed be God, I'm declaring God's goodness. God is completely good. Complete goodness is found only in God, never in man. Verse 3 continues on, that God who is good has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. God is blessed, and then he blesses us. How does he do that? God, who is good, promises to only do good for his children. Now stay with me here. Romans 8.28 says what? All things work together for good. For those who are called according to God's purposes. Is everything in our lives good? You really believe this? I was in Kenya most of last month in the end of November, and on December 15th, while I was in Africa, I got a text from the mission saying that one of our recent candidates had been killed. Ben, former Marine, was out doing his daily 10-mile run. You know, they're kind of a bit 
crazy, those Marines. And he got hit by a hit and run and killed him. Do you really believe that God only does good to his children? This week, we got word from a family whose daughter we've been praying for for the last two years, who's been battling cancer as an 11-year-old. And it looked like some experimental therapy was working, and she was back in school and had a chance of having a life. This week, the family wrote and said, Clara is full of tumors. We're bringing her home from the hospital on hospice. Both of these families are children of God. How can these things be good? In a group this size, I'm sure there's people in this room that have similar things in their lives. You're saying, how can this be a blessing from God? I don't have the answer for that. I suspect that this side of eternity, we won't have answers for some of those things. But I do know that God has an eternal perspective on these things that we do not. And I know that we can trust his promises to use the bad things that happen to us to work good in us, to conform us to the image of his son, to make us the people we need to be, and so that we then can minister to other people who are having bad things come into their lives without having the stability and the peace of knowing that God has this because I'm his children. And they can have that same security and stability if they become children of God. Paul says we can comfort those who are afflicted. We can represent the God of all comfort because he's comforted us. He got us through some of those hard things. So God is, is good. God is blessed. Completely good. And he only does good things to his children. What are the resources we have to enable us to enjoy the pleasant things and endure the unendurable things when that's part of our lot? Well, go on in verse 3. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now, unfortunately, when we hear the word spiritual, what do we think? immaterial, something we can't hang on to, something we can't see, something we can't experience. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean something out there that's in a different sphere, a, a, a different dimension that we can't grab hold of. It means the resources that the Spirit of God gives his children. The, the resources that we have, well, what are some of those? Uh, strength, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Love. Love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given unto us. We can love the unlovable. We can love the lovable. Peace. May the peace that passes all understanding guard or garrison your hearts. Those are those spiritual blessings, the resources that God gives his children. What about joy? James. Count it all joy when everything's going great. 
What does he say? Count it all joy when things are tough. Peter puts it like this in 2 Peter 1.3. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Child of God. These are our resources. Goes on and ends that verse in the heavenly places. He's given us all these things in the heavenly places. What does that mean? It means we have none of these things till we get to heaven? No. It means when we become a child of God, we're put into God's kingdom. We begin to live with the new nature for all eternity, and it starts now. We have all the rights and privileges of child, as children of God right now. We don't have all of them completely. We don't see it all come to fruition until we're in a resurrected body and we're in the presence of the Lord, but we're starting to experience that now. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so we can look at a world that's crashing down around our ears, a society that's going to pieces, a culture that is, is morally depraved, turning it back on everything that's brought us blessing and peace like no society on the face of the earth, and we can say, we're going to stand for truth. We're going to oppose evil. We're going to share the gospel to try to rescue people out of this destruction they're heading toward. We're going to do that with the security of knowing we're citizens of heaven. We're children of God. We have all those privileges already. It goes on here. Before we go on here, I have to say, Jade and I went up to the young man's funeral, Ben's funeral in Kentucky, our missionary candidate that was killed. We were in that memorial service, and Jade and I were talking about it afterwards. I've never been at a funeral with more evidence of grief. You know, it's future's gone. All, all those dreams are gone. And at the same time, I've never been in a, in a funeral that it was obviously not hopeless grief. It was this tragedy that no one could understand. It didn't make sense from a human perspective. And again, as you can imagine, the, the, the person that hit Ben, no license, no insurance, multiple DUIs, the whole, the whole thing. But there was hope in that service, articulated very clearly. Why? Well, for Ben's family and friends, they trusted in God's goodness, that he was a good God. They knew that Ben was a citizen of heaven. They knew that God's plan was no less right just because they didn't know it or understand it. What a testimony to the world. We go on in verse 4 there. We read there, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Who is the us? How do we become the us whom God has blessed? Look at the, 
Look at the plural pronouns all through this, this first few sentences. The saints, not the saint. Us, blessed us, chose us. Paul is writing to all the believers in the church. He's writing not just to an individual, but corporately. We're the body of Christ. We're the incarnation of Christ left on the world to represent Christ to a world that doesn't know God. And as a believer in Christ, you're not an only child like my cousin Gloria. You're part of God's family, brothers and sisters. And he goes on in verse 4 and he says, even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We, we sang about it this morning. We're chosen by God before Adam sinned, before the world was even created. Paul reiterates this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Jonah, the prophet of God, and by the way, a very bad missionary, said, <clears throat> Jonah 2.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah got some things right once he got out of the belly of the fish. He preached faithfully. He hoped he wouldn't preach the gospel successfully. He was disappointed when God did his work and the Ninevites were saved. He was upset that God, quote, repented and relented. Well, like the Ninevites, what do we do to endear us to God so that he would choose us? Paul tells the Ephesian believers, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What is that? That draws a very kind word for drag, kicking, and screaming. Okay? <laughs> Romans 9 tells us that God hated Esau and loved Jacob before they were born gives us a metaphor of the potter and says, God can take a piece of dirt and make it into whatever he wants. Clearly teaches the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God in salvation. But John, 16, uh, John 3.16 says that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Sounds like man as a choice, man's responsible before a sovereign God. And, I, you know, I've, I've read commentaries on John 3.16. Well, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to a, a leader of the Jews who's saying, no, God is now opening up the gospel, not just to the chosen people of Israel, but a, a, some of the Gentiles, whosoever believe. Right? There's good reason in the context to believe that that's accurately representing what's happening there. 
But back up a little bit. In Acts 17.30, the same Apostle Paul who says we were chosen by God says in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This isn't something new in the New Testament, a new doctrine of grace. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah doesn't say, sit there and you're, you know, you're out of luck unless God chooses you. He says, what? He says, repent. Jesus tells Martha, I'm the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Peter at Pentecost quotes the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul says exactly the same thing in Romans 10, 13. So, which is it? Is God sovereign? Yes. Man responsible? Yes. Theologians call these apparently contradiction, apparently irreconcilable contradictions in God's word antinomies. We don't need to understand the theological words. We need to understand they're not really contradictions. They're an omniscient God communicating to people who aren't that smart in words that they can understand truths that are beyond us. We can't grasp it completely. We have to have a measure of reasonable faith that both of those things are true. It's not just, you know, that's the one that we, throughout history, the church has fought over, split denominations over. But you believe other antinomies without even thinking about it. Jesus Christ, fully God, Fully man. Let me give you an easy one. Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul says he does. And then Paul goes on and tells Timothy, every word is God breathed. We see God using Paul's personality and his erudition and his vocabulary and everything he has. And we see God giving us every one of his words that he wants us to have using that instrument. Paul wrote Ephesians. God wrote Ephesians. That's an antinomy. Can we just believe God? Isaiah kind of unwraps this for us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Quotes God as saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us and our children forever. Hang on to this one thing. God chose you. Why? Verse 4, to be holy and blameless. 
First of all, when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner anymore. He sees the righteousness of his son. You're positionally clean. You're positionally holy and blameless. Now, we have to increasingly practice righteousness. You know, we used to, Paul says, sin lives in me. Paul used to live in sin. We used to live in sin. Under the penalty and bondage, power of sin. Now we're not. If you're struggling with that besetting sin in your life, remind yourself it's in me and I can, I can set it aside. I'm no longer immersed in this. We're called to be holy and blameless. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption. Hang on to that one thing. God chose me. God adopted me. Goes on and adds, in love he predestined us. God in his sovereignty, is not capriciously there saying, hell, heaven, hell, heaven. It, it, he's not a tyrant. He's working out his purposes. He's calling people, adopting people, in what? In love. Perfect love. When I spoke at Laterno University seven years ago, their missions conference, a, a student said, my generation just wants somebody to love us. You know, with this new morality, the destruction of marriage, the destruction of the home, the young man said, my generation is just looking for somebody to love us. My answer is, somebody does. It's not a human father that will always fail you, even the best in some fashion. It's God the Father. Talk about security. Goes on, uh, that last verse there, verse 6. God adopted us to the praise of his glorious grace. He chose us to bring glory to himself. Goes on though and says, with which he has blessed us. Other, other translation says, has made us accepted in the beloved, in Jesus. Because of that, he's blessed us. Well, what does that mean? What is, what is, what is God through Paul saying there? What does it mean to be accepted in the beloved? Well, y'all looked up that, that word just to figure out if there was more information, if, if you, you saw what the Greek word was, and it's karitao. It means much grace. It's used somewhere else that we're all familiar with in Luke 1, verse 28 and verse 30, when Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, your highly favored, same word, you're highly favored, with which God has highly favored us in Christ. Mary, you're highly favored. You're pregnant, you're not married. Guess what? It's of God, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah who's come to save us and reconcile us to God and make us part of his family and part of his kingdom and get us direct access to God and give us Abundant life now and certain life for eternity. Highly favored. Wow. For his glory, God chose us. God adopted us. God loves us. We're highly favored in Christ. Gloria's parents could give her many things. Only child, all their inheritance, love, security. She reveled in that. They couldn't give her their DNA. 
God gives us his DNA, gives us a new nature, part of his family. And when, when some, maybe some of you, like me, get anxious about the way our world is headed, the way our nation is headed, grieve over that. Do what you can to rescue people out of the darkness. Don't be anxious. We're children of God. We can not worry what the, what the world says. We can, we can speak truth courageously, gently, meekly, reverently. We're children of God. We call God Abba, Daddy, Father. I had a picture. I don't know if it did it get up on the... Okay. I was in Kenya last month. And, you know, Barb, left, Barb and I left there 10 years ago, and we got back for visits occasionally and, and watched very sadly as the church was attacked from outside and even from inside and had a pastor who was a wolf there for a, for a long time. And we saw those new believers faithfully following Christ. They said, Jim, we, don't, we know we need a pastor. We know we need a missionary. We're first-generation believers. Most of us... We're illiterate when we came to Christ and still read very poorly, but we can obey what we know. And we can share the gospel with everyone around us. I was in Langalani last month. Um, we had a baptism in the lake. We had the Lord's Supper with 51 of the 61 baptized believers in Langalani. The others were out on jobs, were out of town. Part of that group included 14 of our young people, second generation believers in that community, high school, college age. I talked to Langalani yesterday, and there's another six young people that have said, we're going to follow Christ, we're going to identify with his church, we want to be baptized. And I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that Barb and I would live long enough to see two generations of believers in that place. Former Muslims, former animists who hated each other, didn't just like, dislike each other, killed each other. Now they're one body, one family of God in that place. I, I, I just, I don't even have the words say how grateful I am for that. 30 years ago, you sent us out to preach the gospel to that place. We tried to be faithful in doing that. We weren't sure if we would have any success. And yet God spirit has worked and called many in that community to be part of God's family. What's the gospel? Christ died for sinners. We're sinners. We need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives are very hard, often short. They, like us, are highly favored by God. They have the security and the purpose and the joy and the peace that only comes from God. They have the same eternal, undefiled inheritance same as us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I've spoken this morning to this beloved church family. 
Father, there may be some here who are not part of your family yet. Father, may they know that Jesus Christ died for sinners, that they're sinners living in sin. They need to repent and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for your great grace with which you have blessed us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.